from Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Then she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave me, the woman who gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pains in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all, all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the, eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And this is the word of God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your creation of this world. 
Thank you for not destroying this world as you have every right to do, but you've given us hope. You've given us a redeemer. You promised this right after our first parents fell in the garden, this redeemer to come. And Lord, let us hear from you today about this redeemer who has come, who you promised way back in Genesis in the beginning. Lord, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to receive what you have for us to say. May we come away from here loving you more and loving each other more and knowing the meaning and the reason that we have Christmas. I pray everything in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Shopping for presents. Decking the halls. Man in a red suit. Elves on shelves. Reindeer, one with a bright, shiny red nose. Christmas movies. Christmas trees, ugly Christmas sweaters. Lights, travel, time with family. Ham for dinner. Fruitcake and pie for dessert. I don't know why you'd want fruitcake, but... Fruitcake and pie for dessert. These are a few things that seem to take the spotlight during the Christmas season. But is that what Christmas is supposed to be about? Are the gifts, the food, the movies, or even time with family the reason for this season? It amazes me that although much of the world rejects Christ, they love this time of year. They love the Christmas season. But it's not because they love the Savior. It's because they love the stuff that has been added to Christmas. But I'm happy when I often see a bumper sticker or a magnet on a car that says what the reason for the season is. Jesus is the reason for the season. But this morning, I want us to go the next step. I want us to dig a little deeper. Go to the foundation. I want us to look at the start. What is the reason for Jesus? Why did Jesus have to be born into the world in the first place? Why did God in Jesus, the second person of the triune God, come to earth, be born of a virgin, Conceived by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, take on flesh and dwell among his people. Jesus is the reason for the season, but I ask, what is the reason for Jesus? At first glance, Genesis 3 may not look like the traditional Christmas text. But as my pastor said to us a few weeks ago, every text in the Bible is a Christmas text, just like every text in the Bible is a resurrection Easter text. As we walk through this passage today, we will look at this in three parts. The reason for Jesus. First, we see in this passage the seduction. Then, second, we see the sin. But finally, we see the solution. The seduction, the sin, the solution. We will answer the question, what is the reason for Jesus as well as, what does this mean for you? As we walk through this text, I pray you see the seriousness of the coming of Christ. He was born a baby, just as you and I. He experienced life just as you and I. But though he was, yes, truly human, he is also truly God. He came on purpose for a purpose. That baby grew up, lived a perfect life, and went to the cross. But why? We will see why. 
And I pray that you truly believe why this was for you. You must believe. So let's look at our first point, the seduction. Let's read again. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We can look at many things in this section of scripture, but I want to first look at this question posed by the serpent. I want to look at this question because maybe many times you thought to yourself, I wouldn't have taken from the tree. I knew what God said. I wouldn't have taken from that tree and ate. Or maybe you said, why did they have to take from the tree? Why did they do that? They cursed us all. But let's look at that question again and ask yourself, are you so different now than how they responded? Is Satan any different than the way he seduces you now? He asked, did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Be honest, this question you've asked yourself before. Did God actually say, I can't look at this picture or watch this movie? Did God actually say, I can't go into that place? Did God actually say, I can't be in this relationship? Did God actually say he created man and woman in his image, male and female? We are no different than our first parents. They were tempted and seduced the same way you and I often are or have been. But notice this, the serpent didn't even say the right thing. He asked, were you forbidden from eating any of the trees in the garden? The serpent twists the truth when he asks you these questions. It's really to get you to question God's love and kindness. You see, God is not a killjoy. And his, his, his commands, he doesn't do that to kill your joy. He didn't forbid the eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to hold back from them. He doesn't give his commandments to us to hold back from us. When God gives his commandments, he does so to bless us. When God tells us what is the right thing to do with our bodies in a covenant relationship of marriage, he does so to bless us. When he tells us not to lie, to steal, to murder, and he tells us to honor our parents, he does this to bless us. When God tells us to gather and worship him on the Lord's day, he does this to bless us, not to kill our joy, not to take an hour out of our Sunday. We're here because God wants to bless us and he commands us to gather. And as the creator of the universe, he has every right to tell us what he wants us to do. Let's say your dad makes you a dollhouse or a fort for your, for your action figures when you're a kid. He took hours to, to pick out the right wood, to carve the wood, to paint the wood, to model this house for you, to use. He paints it. You get it. You love it. You thank him. Thank you for this gift. But then one day he comes around the corner and he sees you standing on the dollhouse as if it's a footstool. He sees the roof of this house start to, to crush because he didn't design the house 
to withstand the weight of you standing on it. And he sees you fall over and you hurt yourself. And now he's upset with you because he did not design the house to be a footstool. This is the way it is when we sin. God created us to function in the way he designed us to function. And when we go against that, we go against the way the creator has made us to function and to be blessed. That dollhouse was a blessing, but once it was stood on and it was crushed, it was no longer a blessing. When we step on his creation, when it wasn't meant to be stepped on, we fall. And we not only hurt his creation, we hurt ourselves. And we ask, did God actually say, just as the serpent distorts the truth, did God actually say you can't eat from any of these trees? How does the woman react? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit, the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat from the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The woman answers almost correctly. It seems she added the prohibition of touching the tree, which wasn't actually commanded. God gave the commandment to Adam in Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord said and commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall not surely die. He did not say anything about not touching the tree. Did Adam maybe tell his wife not to touch it as an extra prohibition, as a safeguard? We don't know, but either way, the woman took and she ate. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. More lies of the serpent. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Go ahead. Just tell one more lie. It's just a little white lie. You won't die. Go ahead. Take that thing that doesn't belong to you. It's okay. It's just a small thing. You won't die. Go ahead. Stay overnight at your girlfriend or your boyfriend's house. It's okay. You won't die the devil is a liar he is the father of lies god is not holding out on you when he gives us these commands he's blessing us and this knowing of good and evil from eating the tree some commentators say it is like setting for yourself what is good and evil it is like doing right what is doing what you think is right in your own eyes you are your own god you set your own standard but that is not to be. We have a God that tells us what to do because he loves us and he cares for us. And this brings us to the second point, the sin. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight for the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. But that lie is just a small lie. I will get in trouble if I don't lie. But that money that doesn't belong to me looks good. And I can get things that I want. But that, that experience with being with that person, that looks, that looks good. She's a delight to the eyes. I'm going to take her. So the woman takes and eats. Not only that, but she gave some to her husband who was with her. The woman took, but Adam is there with her when this happens. God gave the command to Adam. 
Not to Eve. She wasn't there yet. But it was to Adam. He was supposed to stop this seduction. He was supposed to tell the serpent, get lost. Get out of here. You're a liar. He was supposed to squash that serpent, to crush the serpent's head right then and there. But he took from his wife and he ate. This is why we all sin in Adam. We all sin in Adam, not in Eve. Even though she took first, Adam was given the commandment. He was the first man created. He was told to take dominion over the creation. The covenant of works was made with Adam. He was given the prohibition, yet he failed. He failed to take dominion over the serpent. He failed by disobeying and eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now we are all born in Adam. In Adam, all die. And this sin might seem small as just taking of the fruit, one little fruit, but this sin was major because it was against the highest authority in the land. There's no small infraction that we commit against a holy, righteous God. And what happens next? Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loins cloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They disobeyed God. They saw they were naked. They tried to cover themselves. They hear God and try to hide. You sin. You try to cover up your sin. You hide from God. There's nothing new under the sun. We are just like our first parents. They cover themselves with fig leaves that won't, they won't, that won't cover their shame. Whatever you're trying to cover up your sin and your shame with on your own will not cover it. No one can hide from God. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Where are you? God asks. They were hiding because they were afraid. They knew they were naked. And now their nakedness was shameful. They were exposed. God knew they had sinned against him. And now they hide. And then the blame game starts. God asks if they ate from the tree. The man says, this woman that you gave me, she gave it to me. The woman blames the serpent. No, no, it was the serpent. You blame someone else for your sin, even though you're responsible. Well, if this didn't happen to me when I was younger, I wouldn't be doing this right now. Well, if I wasn't around so-and-so, I wouldn't have done that. Well, I was born this way, so I'm going to do what I want to do. That last statement is almost correct. Yes, we were born this way. You were born a sinner. Sin nature here passed down again from our first parents, from Adam. <clears throat> the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Shorter Catechism, which is a, a way of teaching what the scriptures teach. We probably have a few copies here if you want them, but it's set up in a question and answer manner. Question 16 says, did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? And the answer, the covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but also his posterity, so those who came after him, 
all mankind descending him descending by from him by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell in him in his first transgression when adam sinned he was our federal head our representative we all sinned in adam in short many theologians say in adam's fall sinned us all and what did the sin of adam cause again question 17 in what estate did the fall bring all mankind the fall brought all mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Then question 19, what is the misery of that estate whereinto man fell? Answer, all mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made viable to all miseries in this life, to death itself and to the pains of hell forever. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one to come. So far, this message has been about our first parents. It's been a lot of bad news that I'm giving you here. Our parents were seduced by the serpent, then they fell. And because they sinned, we sinned. What does this have to do with Christmas? What does this have to do with a baby born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes? I'm glad you asked. This is a very, very much a Christmas message. This is the very reason Jesus has come into the world. Our first parents sinned against God, fell away from him. Therefore, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came into the world and did what the first Adam failed to do. He is the second Adam. And by grace, through faith in him, our sin nature is changed. We are given a new nature. We are given a righteous nature. We no longer have to sin. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. What other gift can you want? And this brings us to our third point, the solution. Or I can say the salvation. But first, again, the curses. Let's hear a little bit more bad news before we get to the good. So we have verse 16. God curses the woman because she has done this. She will now, her, her pain will increase during childbearing. Her desire will be contrary to her husband, and he will rule over her. Verse 17, we see God tell the man that he will work the ground by the sweat of his brow. Work will be hard, and it continues to be hard. God curses the ground, saying thorns and thistles will spring up. All the world is cursed now. Work isn't a curse itself. Work is a blessing, but work will be hard. And at Adam's end of his life, he will return to the dust which which he was taken. They are both expelled from the garden. They are both expelled from paradise. And ultimately, ultimately when they took and ate and their eyes were open, they died spiritually. They did surely die. They could no longer be in that same communion they had with God. They could not remain there and take from the tree of life. Again, this is more bad news. Where's Christmas? Get me a Christmas. I want the Savior. Before God speaks to the woman and the man, He gives this great promise. 
He gives the message of hope that all of Scripture from that point on would unfold to. It all points to this. He gives the first proclamation of Christmas to come. He also gives a proclamation of the death and resurrection to come. Verse 14, the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Here it is. Here is the hope given to Adam and Eve. Here's the hope for all of Adam's descendants. Here's the hope of the world. The serpent is cursed to crawl on his belly. Enmity would be between him and the woman. There'd be animosity there between, also between her offspring and him. But the offspring, the seed, this is singular, the offspring of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent and the heel of the offspring will be bruised. Here is Christmas. In a little seed, here is Christmas. The announcement has been called by theologians the Proto-Evangelion. A little fancy word, I like to show off when I know these fancy words. Proto-Evangelion just means the first gospel. This is the first proclamation in a small picture of the gospel. This is the announcement of the coming one to defeat that serpent. From this point on, we begin to see this unfold again in Scripture. Notice, this is the offspring of the woman. Again, some translations say seed of the woman. This should look unusual to the reader because many times seed is referenced to come from the man. But this is the seed of the woman bruising the head of the serpent. Charles Spurgeon says of this, There lie within it, as an oak lies within an acorn, all the great truths which make up the gospel of Christ. Observe that here is the grand mystery of incarnation. Christ is that seed of the woman who is here spoken of. And there is a hint not darkly given as to how the incarnation would be effected. Jesus was not shadowed of the Holy Ghost, and the holy thing which was born of her was, as, was to his humanity the seed of the woman only. As it is written, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The promise plainly teaches that the deliverer would be born of a woman. And carefully viewed, it also foreshadows the divine method of the Redeemer's conception, conception and birth. What a gracious God we serve. Yes. A God who should have and could have and would be justly right to have destroyed Adam and Eve right then and there for disobedience. But he is merciful and he's beyond gracious in giving us this covenant promise of the Messiah to come way back when the first transgression happened. The unfolding story of the Bible keeps pointing to the Messiah. Many types and shadows are seen all through the Old Testament. Leaders, prophets, kings, appointed by God to lead the people, but they weren't the Messiah to come. Noah, Moses, David, and others were used by God to save his people. Again, pointing to the future true prophet, priest, and king who is Jesus And God sent prophets to speak of this offspring to come. We heard some of the prophecy already this morning, but here are a few more. Isaiah 7, verse 4. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. The promised offspring, the seed of the woman has come. He is God with us. Isaiah 6, I'm sorry, Isaiah 9, verse 6. We know this one. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. For this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The seed of the woman is the child born in Bethlehem. He has been given to you, Christian. He has been given for you. He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. He is on the throne right now as king of king and lord of lords. Who has done this? God has done this. And before this actually came to be, an angel appeared to Joseph and told him, as we read earlier in Matthew 1, verse 21, she shall, she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice the angel didn't say his name will be Jesus because he might possibly save his people from their sins. No. Or that he will only make it possible for people to be saved. No, his name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, and he has saved his people from their sins. The very sin back in Genesis 3, the sin of our first father, Adam, the sin we inherited, our own sin. This is the sin Jesus saves you from, Christian. You have been saved. If you have put your faith in Christ, this Savior, this seed of the woman has saved you. Jesus saved you from your sins because he does save his people. Someone once said, life is short, death is sure. Sin is the cause. Christ is the cure. Christ has come. One more question and answer from the Shorter Catechism. Question 20. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? Answer. God, out of his good pleasure, from all eternity, elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery, to bring them into a state of salvation by a Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, the Redeemer has come. That is not just why we celebrate Christmas, but why we are here every Lord's Day. And every day of your life, the Redeemer has come. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus was also tempted by the serpent, by Satan. But he did what Adam failed to do. He said, it is written. It is written, you shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's what we must remember. It is written. When you're tempted, it is written. I know what God has said. It is written. And trust in the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus is the second Adam, doing what the first Adam failed to do. Born under the law, kept the law perfectly. He redeems those who haven't kept the law. By grace through faith in him, you have been redeemed. You have been adopted. You were a rebel. And now he took your rebel heart and he says, you're my son. He says, you're my daughter. Christmas isn't just a story of a baby being born and humbly placed in a manger. This is the God who we sinned against, humbling himself, 
condescending, taking on flesh to live a life, tempted just as you and I are, yet without sin. Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for everything. And he has bruised the head of the serpent. He stomped on the serpent as Adam should have done back in the garden. How so? We also have this promise of how this happened. We see this prophesied in the Old Testament. This is how the serpent, Satan, has been defeated. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. The baby born in Bethlehem. The baby announced by heavenly hosts to the shepherds. The baby visited later by those who saw a star. That baby grew up and began to preach. He was a preacher of righteousness. He preached the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. He performed miracles upon miracles. He never sinned. He perfectly obeyed God in his active obedience. Some followed him. Some wanted to kill him. Because he made himself out to be God. He said, unless that you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. He is the I am. He is the great I am. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Ultimately, the religious leaders did have him killed. They yelled, crucify him. Crucify him. This sinless man was killed on a Roman cross. Nails through his wrists. Nails through his feet. Probably piercing his heel. Bruising his heel. As God said would happen. His disciples scattered in fear. Peter rejected him. After he died, he was buried in the grave of Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man. This baby of humble beginnings, who was said to have no place to lay his head in his life, who preached the kingdom of God, was crucified and buried, and he was in the grave. But it was only for three days. Because what happened after three days? He rose from the grave. He did not stay dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Death cannot hold a righteous man. His atoning death for your sin has been accepted by the Father. The promised seed to come into the world to save his people, to save sinners, that mission is stamped, accomplished. Mission accomplished. Jesus has saved his people from their sin. Redemption has been accomplished and applied to you. If you have believed, you have been redeemed. Christians, hear me. We have the incarnation of the Son of God because God so loved you, He loved you in this way before the foundation of the world, that He gives you His Son. He gave His Son. Again, I'll say it. Merry Christmas. He has given you His Son. You will never receive. Tomorrow you're opening your presents and you'll be grateful and you'll like what you have. Even if it's socks. You'll be grateful for the socks. We all need socks. We need warm feet. But you have salvation. Now and forever. Every day you're opening this gift of salvation that you have. Never to be taken away from you. You will never want to return that gift. You have it now and forevermore. We all have things we need in the world. We do need clothing. We need shelter. We need health. We need healing. We know people personally right now that need healing. But our greatest need in this world is forgiveness of sin. We have sinned against the holy, almighty God. And he's given us our greatest need. He has forgiven us in Christ by sending his son to live, die, and rise for us. 
We're going to sing this soon. But I love these lyrics. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thins infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. There's no limit to the salvation of God. Far as the curse is found. The curse on Adam, the curse on Eve, the curse on creation has been reversed. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The Lord is also coming again. You see, after he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. He's there now, still fully God, still truly man. He is seated at the right hand of God in power. The king is on his throne, reigning now. So we're adopted as sons and daughters of the king, and that king is reigning now. This is his world. This is our father's world. He will not stay there. He's going to return. He's coming back. What a glorious day will be the second coming of Christ. And he's coming to judge the living and the dead. So what does this mean for you? What does all this mean for you? If your sin is the reason for Jesus coming into the world, what does it mean for his second coming into the world? Have you believed? You're here this morning. I'm always going to give this call. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you believed? You must believe because this second coming is not going to be this baby born, laid in the manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's coming as a triumphant king. Again, in judgment. And that judgment isn't a trial. It's a sentencing. And the sentence is death. It's hell. But you don't have to have that. You can take this gift of salvation that God is offering you right now, today. Your sins can be forgiven. Wiped away. Don't be seduced by Satan. His way only leads to death. You might find pleasure a little while, but there's death at the end. Turn to the promised seed and live. Receive, again, the best gift given, the Son of God. And if you have, you are redeemed. You have been forgiven. You have been set free from sin, from Satan, from the sentence of hell. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are set free. Sin is the reason. Jesus Christ is the cure. 1 Timothy 1.15 this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into, wor- into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, not to hope that he saves sinners, not to, to, to beg you to be saved. No, he's saving. He saves you. He saves sinners. It says this in the word of God. And the word of God is not a lie. He says this. The serpent seduced our parents into sin. They sinned, therefore we sin. Sin brought the curse of God into the world, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, promised an offspring of the woman that would end the curse and crush the serpent's head. And that offspring has come and done exactly that. We have Christmas because we have sin. But now that we have Christmas, we no longer have to have sin. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of salvation, full salvation. All of our sins are forgiven, past, present, future, if we are in Christ. Lord, I pray that all, everyone here has put their trust in Christ and they are forgiven. The greatest need you have met. Lord, may we see that. 
May we see that. You are holy and righteous. Holy and righteous God. And we have rebelled against you. Yet you save us. You see our thoughts, Lord. Yet you save us. May we see that salvation. May we live in that, trust in that, rest in Christ and what he has done. The sinless Savior, born in a manger, living a perfect righteous life, preaching the kingdom of God, performing miracles, but ultimately going to the cross, dying on Calvary's hill, the death that I deserve, the death that we all deserve. He was buried, but did not stay dead, rose and is seated at your right hand, And we look forward to the day of his coming. So may we rest in Christ this Christmas, knowing we have the greatest gift ever that you won't even take back. You've given to us and you promise us. Thank you for that seed of the woman, that offspring of the woman, bruising that serpent's head and taking the bruise on his own heel for all of us who believe. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.